0: This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem.
1: And, um, you know, make a long story short, I talked about this in my second book, How Sneakers Ruined My Life. In 2018, I lost $2.2 million. Wow. Um, and that's not in sales. I actually lost that physical money. Backward.
0: Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to uh, another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We asked them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five. In today's case, it's going to be more like seven or eight because we got a pretty interesting guest. <laughs> but rather than talk about people's wins or successes, uh, we talk about their failures. More specifically. The lessons that they learned from those individual experiences. So, with that being said, uh, my guest today went from selling long tees and do rags out the trunk of his car to owning ten storefronts, which employed over a thousand people. He's an award-winning entrepreneur and founder of Exclusity, a clothing store that helped lay the groundwork for sneaker culture here in Canada. In 2022. He was the recipient of the RBC Young Entrepreneur BBPA Harry Jerome Award. He's also the author of the autobiography, How Sneakers Saved My Life. Without further ado, Trent Out Loud. Welcome to the podcast, my brother.
1: What's up, brother? Thank you very much for having me, man. Man, thank Uh,
0: you for being uh, on the platform, man.
1: That's a good intro, man. I like that. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) So I know I just uh, dropped kind of a lightweight intro about who you are and what you've done so far but mm. for my listeners that are not familiar with Trent Out Loud why don't you give them some additional details about who you are and of course throughout our discussion or conversation today they're going to get the opportunity to find out more.
1: Um, whenever I ask that question it's like a big long-winded <laughs> you know what I'm saying answer so yeah. I, I try my best to shorten it Um I am, uh, like you said, I, I'm born and raised in, um, I don't know if you said this actually, but I'm born and raised in Montreal, um, you know, through various, you know, entrepreneurial stints. I had six failed businesses before mm. um, uh, Exclusivity which like you said, started out as a, uh, as a clothing store, transformed into a sneaker boutique out the trunk of my car, one storefront. actually out the trunk of my car, then to a basement of a tattoo parlor, right. my first storefront. Fast forward to a national brand with uh, 10 locations uh, across Canada um, and online. And and here we are today. Awesome. And now you got a book that's available on Amazon, by the way. Yes. Get that book, y'all. Thank you.
0: Perfect. So let's jump into this. So, my first question, Trent, in your book, you have a word cloud where you list off words that describe things that you've experienced in your life. So, some of those words include millionaire, porn star, Athlete, Jamaica. Shout out to all my Jamaicans. Now you know we are here rapping. And Lamborghini. Now using a virtual word cloud, what would you say are the characteristics of the mind that an entrepreneur needs to have in order to achieve success, massive success, in today's world? Um.
1: Good question. Mm. Um uh do you want me to name this list the words and give an explanation or just do you want the words L-
0: list the words and if you want you can add explanation okay together. i'm gonna
1: start out with sacrifice and that's the first the only one that i'm gonna give some uh some some, some meat good. to okay it's because you hear like sacrifice and you're like yeah of course i got to sacrifice i'm gonna work hard but right. sacrifice to be an entrepreneur is sacrificing friends Mm. sacrificing girlfriends and boyfriends, sacrificing Mm. family events, birthdays. Um, people don't realize to make it as an entrepreneur, the sacrifice is actually what you have to give up in your life. You're not just sacrificing time. That's, that's a given. That's, that's, that's the easy part of working 16 hour days. Everybody feels like they can hustle, um, sacrifice, um, knowledge. um, um, um branding mm. um and marketing. Those are the four pillars to being an entrepreneur.
0: And so would it be safe to assume that if you have to weight those, right? So I think you gave me four or five. Yeah.
1: Would you say that sacrifice is the most important, or would you say they're all equally important? They're all equally as important because People don't realize like if you if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, like yo, know, if you're trying to, you know, you know, make a couple of thousand dollars, okay, that's that's something you're just you know, you're just right. trying to make money. To be an entrepreneur, you have to have a brand. And right. and people don't realize like your brand is actually more important than anything else. So mm-hmm. they're all important. And then marketing that brand, you know, like when I say Nike to you you think of something, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody will think of different things. And so when you say exclusivity, you think of different things. And that's what I've done by branding my company or branding right. Trent out loud or you branding your podcast. Um, so people don't realize how important branding is. And then once you have a brand, you need to market that brand. And that marketing has to, 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 um, it, it has to make sure you have to make sure that your brand um, speaks to your marketing so there's so much more than profit and losses so yeah Mm -hmm. sacrificing branding and marketing they're all equally as important
0: right and knowledge right of course that's a given Mm. and it's funny when you when you mentioned brand uh one of the things that stuck out to me um i think i was reading a book called biology as in b-u-y then ology Mm. Mm -hmm. and i think they were giving the story of that whole Pepsi versus Coke challenge that happened back in the day. Now they say back in the 70s, 70s, they did the test, and just over 50% that did the blind, they did the blinded test, right? Just over half of the people chose Pepsi as the better tasting product. Then 28 years later, they did the exact same challenge, blindfolded people again, and again, slightly over half chose Pepsi as the better-tasting product. Then they decided to do one extra little thing. Trent, what they did was, this time they told people, this is Coke, this is Pepsi. And can you guess which product people chose as a better-tasting product?
1: I know, because I know the story, and I <laughs> use this example all the time. So anytime I'm doing talks, I use this example. So you yeah. go ahead and tell them.
0: <laughs> so it was Coke. I think the numbers were over 70% or close to 75%. Right. And that was uh, an eye opening moment for me, because then I I just just realized that people buy brands. They don't buy products. Right. So and I think you kind of allude to this in your book a little bit where you talk about location versus product. That's a nice little tidbit, because in marketing, what's the rule that they always preach? Location, 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 location. But your spin is product is more important than location. And why do you feel that is?
1: Well, I just think that that's an old school way of thinking, right? Like, yeah, in the 70s and 80s, of course, it was location. Mm-hmm. Now with social media, now with Action. it's a whole other. And that's why it's important that we're having these kind of con- conversations for the new entrepreneurs coming up, because if they go into you know, chapters or they go into, you know, reading like those old school books, they're getting that wrong information. It's a total new age right now. right? Right. And yeah, it's, it's a product driven market. It's product, 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 and it's the way how you drive that product, you know?
0: Right. Absolutely. Now you just gave me a word cloud where you shared with me four words. I think it was branding, marketing, knowledge, and sacrifice. Yes. Now Are there any other words you would add if you were specifically giving advice to a black entrepreneur? No, same
1: exact same. As I tell people this all the time, Mm -hmm. um, especially I, sorry, I tell black entrepreneurs this all the time. You cannot go in thinking that you're a black entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. Mm. We're not going to support you just because you're a black entrepreneur. You have to be equal to your white counterpart or better. Now, if I have a choice of, you're both selling the same thing. If you have a choice, of course, I'm going to want to support the black entrepreneur, the indigenous entrepreneur, you know, right. the, the the entrepreneur that that needs, that needs the help. But if you're less than and you think I'm just going to support you just because you're black and you're not offering what your white counterpart is offering, um, I think that's where a lot of black entrepreneurs make the mistake. So I give the same advice to, to every culture.
0: I got you. I'm of a similar mindset. If the value is more or less the same, then I'm going to try and support my people. Of course. No disrespect to the other cultures. It's just I want to help circulate those dollars uh, within the community. All right. So uh, this might be a point of contention for you, but let's talk about your relationship with Nike. Mm. Now, specifically what I want to tackle first is how did you get a direct relationship with Nike and how can others that are trying to do what you did, how can they get one with Nike as well? Or even just a big shoe company of that nature?
1: Um, through the four uh, word clouds that I said. Um, mm-hmm. When I first started out, again, this was 15 years ago, um, right. You know, Nike told me no, Adidas told me no, all the big brands told me no. Um, I didn't even want to get into footwear. Uh, was one of my employees. I talk about that in the book. And it was actually my first shoe that we sold was uh, the first shoe that we sold was a rockwear boat shoe. Mm. Um, and we sold out of that shoe in the weekend. Uh, so we went from that and we started out small. Right. You can't start a sneaker boutique and think Nike is going to give you an account. Right. So. Started out small selling rockwear boat shoes and we got Supra, then we got Vans, then we got um, Timberland, then we got Adidas and then two or three years later we got Nike. So it's again, like I said, it's the sacrifice. Are you willing to make the sacrifice to sell, mm-hmm. you know, the you know, I'm not shitting on rock or anything, <laughs> but, the you know, the yeah, lower yeah. end footwear and establish right. yourself um, and then have Nike, you know, come to you. Right,
0: right. And so in terms of like units, if we're trying to give people like physical numbers to work with, when a Nike rep comes in to evaluate whether you're, you know, successful enough to carry their inventory, are there certain numbers or figures that you got to
1: hit? It's not about the numbers with Nike, especially um, in this day and age. Uh, Nike uses their stores f- to to influence the community that that store is in. So mm-hmm. You're not gonna. Nike's a fifty billion dollar company. You know the amount mm. of shoes that you could sell is, is going to be a, a fraction of, right. of of what they're moving globally. So it's real. The numbers are irrelevant. It's your it's your influence, your impact, and the culture that you're hitting. That's what Nike's looking for, or, or any other any sneaker brands looking for.
0: Okay, those are nuggets. Those are gems right there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, where's your relationship with Nike at now?
1: Uh, there is no relationship anymore it's mm-hmm. over
0: right now i'm 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 trying to go somewhere here because I saw mm-hmm. a post you did, and that's the direction I'm trying to go, and I think you're you i think I would like you to elaborate on what's going on with Nike or the actions that you're looking to take. I don't want to say against the organization, but just if you can fill in the blank on that a little bit
1: um actually, you know what it's like the past couple of days I've decided of like if you notice I used to have them pinned on my Instagram. And I've taken it down and I'm like, just for my own mental health, I'm kind of just, you know, I have it out there and I'm just letting it do what it do what it does. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I'll leave it up to 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 (laughs) the people to to carry on. But I will answer your question in short, Um, you know, I. I've had a relationship, a close relationship with Nike for the past close to fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we uh, helped Nike lay the groundwork for sneaker culture in this country. Uh, there was no House of Hoops um, mm-hmm. when we started. We helped lay the groundwork for you know the basketball. Uh, lane that was severely underpenetrated. Um Expo city was, you know, the store that that ran that offense um for Nike. Um especially in the, the East Coast in Montreal and Toronto. Um, they you know Nike champion Exclusive City to come to Toronto um ahead of the All-Star game uh because they liked like we like I said earlier how we um, presented ourselves uh you know our our impact on on, on the culture And, um, you know, make a long story short. I talked about this in my second book, how sneakers ruined my life in 2018, I lost $2.2 million. Um, and that's not in sales. I actually lost that physical money. Um, so I went through a lot of, um, downturns in in my business. Uh, you know, I think we grew a little too, um, aggressively, uh, with storefronts and, um, you know, with, with online and, you know, we, you know, our rents were too high. Uh, you know, I had, you know, young street rent was $40,000 a month. Queen street was 30,000 employees. Um, so we went through a, um a kind of a rebranding and a transition. So we went from having 10 storefronts to having three or four s- storefronts and really uh, driving most of our business to online. And um, before the pandemic, Nike was okay with that. Right. And, after the pandemic, there was a new Nike leadership, and they were like, no, mm-hmm. we don't want you to focus all your energy online. We are online. We want you to focus on stores. So right. I went to the new management. I was like, man, I could t- I wrote books on this. I send you financial statements. I lost millions of dollars with this concept. So like, what I wanted to do is I wanted to transfer, um, transform my stores into more experienced stores. Um, and and we're paying less rent. Um, anyways, it was a big thing. Um, they pushed back, they didn't like the idea. Um, and they said that, uh, we needed to go back to traditional, uh, brick and mortar retail. Um, and as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, I I didn't like that concept. Mm -hmm. Uh, From coming of losing millions of dollars for it so they told me if we don't go back to that um concept then they're going to close our account um so we no longer have a nike account and you know we're in the midst of of closing down uh our exclusive location as you know it
0: Mm. Mm. there's a lot to unpack there
1: but there's a lot i feel like we just
0: went through like Several years in 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 two minutes (laughs) exactly. Um, and this is why the book, guys. I'm telling you, um, I know that you. This probably crosses over two books. I think this will be in the second book that you're talking about. But like his book, uh, how sneakers saved my life, is probably one of the best, one of the better autobiography books that I've read. Now I'm putting you up there next to Trevor Noah, whose book I loved. Malcolm X, another book I love, and I'm actually listening to Stephen A. Smith's book right now, which is also pretty freaking good as well. So, man, wow, so listeners out there, it's a good read, bro. It's thank a you good read, and the way I'm not just saying that because you're my guest, but like authentically, how I know I'm reading a book that I'm really into mm-hmm. is when I can visualize mm-hmm. your narrative, what your so the relationship you talk about with your mom, your grandmother. Your dad, I can visualize it in my head as I'm reading the words off the page. So, again, for all my listeners, check out how sneakers saved my life. It's on Amazon. You can order it right now. Okay. Wow. Thank you for that, brother. Thank you. No worries. So, speaking of family members, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, I'm saying her name correctly, Ethlyn Rosetta Harris. Yes, sir. My grandmother. Your grandmother. You say that you take after her the most so what specifically did you take from your grandmother
1: her determination and her sacrifice mm. her sacrifice her sacrifice so
0: i do want the the readers to go on you know or my listeners rather to go and read the book for themselves but if you could just share the type of sacrifice your grandmother made to get to canada and what a little bit about what she went through i think that would give my my listeners some context.
1: Um, so born and raised in Jamaica, but not the Jamaica that you see online. Um, not the Jamaica <laughs> that you see. Facts. Uh, tell them, Trent. <laughs> Yeah, right. In the not the resort life. Um, so uh, she was born in a place called Cocoa Walk, Jamaica, which is like no, no electricity, no mm-hmm. nothing, and uh, you know. Ironically, uh, you know, not not even any shoes. And uh, she uh, made her way to um, Canada and uh, through a program, um, a Canadian program um, called the Domestic Scheme Program. And she came up to this country um I I call it modern day slavery of my sister. And a lot of people don't like uh, those choice of words. So I didn't put that in the book. But I do say that when I'm on podcast. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she they they violated her human and civil rights when she came up here. Right. She uh, wasn't given adequate housing. She was she slept in a closet. Uh, with a mattress and a closet, like there was only room for a mattress. Uh, they didn't feed her properly. Um, you know, the little kids would steal, you know, food that she made uh, for the family and they would sneak it to her in her closet to eat at night. And, um, she never said a word. She never complained. Uh, she did the work and uh 1 year after her promotion she was here for sorry not prob- uh, probation yeah. uh, her after her 1 year probation then she went back to the government filed a complaint cuz they knew they couldn't send her back to Jamaica right. she moved to another family and then she sent for my mother my aunt and six other people and brought them up from Jamaica so that wow. is how do you beat that you know what man. i mean
0: sacrifice man yeah sacrifice and it, you know there's this part you detail in a book um pretending to your grandmother, how uh you you just alluded to it actually about the food, how even the food that she would cook for the family, she wasn't allowed to eat herself. Exactly. And I was just like, wow. Like I visualized that while I was yeah. reading it. And I was like, that is some cold. And we're talking what, this is like the 60s or early 70s, like
1: uh no, well, so probably like, yeah, late uh early 60s early 60s. I think I have it in the book. I think it's like 65, 64, yeah, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. How so we're that? not talking too far. This is not the 1800s. Exactly. This is not, you know what I'm saying? When yeah. people are like, like, yo, slavery was 120 years. Like, bro, it's the 60s, dog, you know?
0: Yeah, and that's where I'm going with that. And it's like, and here's another thing. Here's another direction I'm trying to go with this. Is like, people often think those type of things only happened in the U.S. Mm. We're talking about Montreal, Canada here, guys. In Canada, exactly. right? So I found that very powerful, very moving. And then you say that your your grandmother had this phrase where she said something like, "I hope I say this correctly." You got to uh, kick ass before you. What was the other part to that statement? You, you know need what to. Trying?
1: You need to kiss, kiss ass, ass before, before you can kick you ass. Can kick ass. There you go. Yes, that's my favorite expression. There you um, go. Yeah, exactly, and that's what she did, right? She came up here and she kicked and she kissed ass, right? right, to a white Jewish family that mistreated her and a Canadian government that didn't protect her when they brought her up here. um But she knew, and and I end my grandmother's section off in the book by she knew that she could never kick ass in her lifetime, but she knew if she kissed ass long enough that I could kick ass for her.
0: Mm. There's that sacrifice again, exactly. and. You know, what's funny, your grandmother's kind of uh, mantra, if you will, if I can call it that, Mm kind of reminds me of, I coined a phrase, I call it the Oprah Winfrey effect. And what that means, Trent, is if you know Oprah's kind of history about how she came up, she worked in a small town, news station, you know, worked there for a few years, got the opportunity to do the Oprah Winfrey show, but it was owned by the network. She played that role for quite some time, got enough uh cachet and resources to then start uh her own production company where she owned the rights to the show and then many years later developed the own network, right? So she mm-hmm. played the game until she could have enough uh cachet to have a major influence on the game to the point where she can now own the game or at least a piece of the game. So your grandmother's saying kind of reminded me, reminded me of that kind of process that we all have to follow to get where we really want to get to. Of
1: course. Yep. I talked about Oprah in my book a couple of times, right? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing.
0: So let's talk about your father, actually. In the book, you describe him as this kind of militant figure that was, you know, physically abusive. So how do you think that experience impacted you as a kid growing up and then now as as a man was it like all bad is it all bad and you know some good as well like how do you how do you feel that 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 experience
1: um the the physical abuse or growing up in a physical abusive household or both both so Growing up in a physically abusive home, um, I don't think has any um, positive um, influence on anybody Mm -hmm. at all at any time, nor any sort of physical abuse. Um, But I talk about this in the book of my father not knowing any better. Mm. And I thought that was important. People are like, why are you talking about your dad? And why are you talking about, you're Jamaican, you know, right? Let's keep your business in your house. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was important to include that in the book for this exact reason right now, so that we could talk about it. Right. So that other people can see that it's um, that it's wrong, but it, it's, it shouldn't be your excuse. I'm a successful um, businessman. Right. Right. Um, so um, my father, me being a... Severely delinquent kid always getting in trouble, you know, being a ar- getting arrested, um, you know, just hanging with the wrong crowd, you know, having charges. Like my it was my dad's only way to get to me, right? right? And I talk about that in the book. And it was like he was trying to save me, but he didn't realize that I was trying to run away from him being physically abusive to my mom, right? So he didn't right. have the tools to, 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 to raise me. Um, you know, how we would raise a, a child today. So um I don't listen, I, I credit my dad for saving me, you know. Um I I don't I wouldn't be the man that I am today. I just um I just wish that he would have gone about it differently and I wish he had the tools to go around it differently.
0: Right, right. And I think that's where I, I was going with this question is because oftentimes, especially now in the last maybe four or five, maybe even six years, you know, you you were you hear the word trauma a lot right almost to the point in my personal opinion that i feel like it's losing its its significance uh cuz okay. we've we, not to say that nothing is can't be trauma but sometimes i find in society when you uh let's just use the word overuse a word it tends to lose the power that it once had right again just my kind of personal okay. uh opinion on that and what i wanted you to kind of go with is the fact that even though you grew up in this, this, just call it troubled household, you were still able to achieve a level of success, right? So where I'm going with this is not to deny that the negative impact that it had on you mentally, emotionally, physically, but to say that even when things are really tough or really hard, you can still turn things around, right? There's still a possibility. There's still that option. And it just kind of reminds me actually. So when I, I used to live in a New York, that's another thing I you and I kind of have similar, because I know that you went to New York many times throughout your years building the business. And I met this guy that he had some position for like the Golden State Warriors at one point, but then left that position. And this is before Golden State became what we know them to mm. be today. Um And he ended up taking a job to become a teacher in a prison in New York. And when he used to teach ex-cons like math and all this other stuff, he used to tell me the guys in the class would be like, man, you probably grew up in the suburbs, man, you probably grew up in this nice neighborhood. And then one day he challenged one of them. He said, where'd you grow up? Guy said, this block. He's like, actually, I grew up three blocks away from you. The only difference between you and me is about five to maybe seven crucial decisions we made between the ages of 13 to 18 or something like that, right? So it's not to say that, you know, having a rough or difficult upbringing is nothing to like, you know, kind of kiki on as in like, it's not that bad, because it is, it does have a dramatic effect on you, right? I'm a product of a single parent household. I know the struggle. But to say that, this is the reason why I am not successful. I can't really buy into that particular statement. If that makes sense to you.
1: That 100,000%, right? Like I, I talk about that in my book um, frequently. And it's one of the main reasons why I put out my book so that people that look like us, that sound like us and talk like us, this, yep. could see somebody coming from, I know you don't like the word, but from a traumatic <laughs> um, upbringing yeah. um, and that have, you know, like there's, yeah, I have every, um, every. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Music. I have every, yeah. I have every disadvantage,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, possible. You know what I'm saying? Like everything. Um, you talk about what you know. I used to go down to New York. I there was a time where I was not able. I was banned from going to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to get a waiver, and I had to do things. I didn't let that stop me. Uh, I didn't, shit, I can't go to the U.S. I, I found somebody that would go to the U.S. for me. I paid her to go. I paid another person to drive. I, I never let that stop me. I ran a store for a year with product that was solely from New York City, and I was never even able to cross the Plattsburgh border.
0: That's wild. That is wild. That is
1: wild. That was true persistence. When I read that, I was like, yo,
0: <laughs> this boy was on a mission. Of and course. you know what's so, so interesting about that particular point? Because, um one of my favorite words in the English language is persistence. Mm. And man, when I was reading, you're going through that challenge. I was like, it would have been so easy for someone to be like, quit or pause. Maybe this is a sign from God that it, I'm not meant to do this. You know what I mean? Like, but now nah, you're just like, let me find a different way. What what are my options? I'm going to call my cousin in New Jersey or or I'm going to get, yeah. one, you know what I mean? You're always yeah. just looking for the opportunity and it just reminded me a couple of years ago during the pandemic, I kind of had this revelation. And, you know, because we all had a little bit more time on our hands, yeah. I got really into some deep thinking. And one of the things I discovered is this mantra for myself where I say, you know, recognize the problem, but focus on the solution. So anytime I come across like a a situation that's not favorable, I just repeat that to myself recognize the problem focus on the solution because sometimes we do the opposite right we focus on the problem and we just you know we just spiral downwards man but yeah man that's a that's a positive that's a huge like influential story right there that part in the book another reason why you guys should go out there and cop that um so let's talk about i'm gonna go a little deep here so let me let me take a step back here (laughs) now in the book you mentioned that you um you attempted suicide mm-hmm. so describe to the listeners what you were going through that drove you to that point and how and and what did you do to to get over that challenging period in your life
1: um i was like 12 or 13 years old uh so i really don't remember too much of it and i kind of blocked a lot of it out mm-hmm. um but uh, it was the issues growing up with my dad. Um, I didn't like my father. Um, I didn't understand why he was so hard on me, why he was always comparing me to other people, why he was always, you know, he was telling me, that, um, you're never going to be anything, And you're going to fail mm-hmm. out of school, you're going to drop out, you're going to be nothing. And, you know, anytime I would try to do anything and, you know, if I would lie or catch me and catch me in a lie, it would just it was just it's just. I felt there was just too much weight. And, um, you know, I was taking karate at the time and there's just one night I was just like, yo, I just don't want to be here. I just don't want to live in this anymore. Um, and, and, you know, I talked about it in the book. I put my karate belt around my neck. I leaned forward. And luckily by the grace of God, I fell um, to my right side where the door closed. And instead of, of my body would have fallen to the left side, the door would have stayed open and I probably wouldn't be here right now. Wow. Um, so, um, you know, I told one of my friends at school and I had to go through therapy and some people came to my house, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, to, you know, to answer your question of like, you know, what I was going through at the time, I was just, I just felt like I was just, I, I feel, I felt like I wasn't good enough. Right. Um, live up to my father's expectations i didn't think that um um i would ever there would ever be an escape from it and you know there's a lot of people that are going through that now as as, uh, as adults right and um you know so there's you know there's options people whatever at 12 or 13 years old i didn't know i had those options available to me right
0: right and i i like the fact that you ended on that note that there are options out there for people to explore i know for kids um, kids help phone where you could just send a text message. Um, that's a particular option. And I know suicide is one of these kind of like, you know, maybe not so much now because people are very outspoken about it, but to a lo- certain level of extent, still almost kind of taboo. I know that like, for example, my friend, uh, he used to live in the Maryland Monroe Towers mm-hmm. in Mississauga and he told me in one year they had about four suicides, but never publicized because they don't typically publicize suicides unless it's a celebrity or a person of uh, a big figure of some sort. And that was just crazy to me that, you know, right next door to me, you know, four people try to take their lives. And then you find out that this happens on a daily basis of across the city, across the country, across the world. And, you know. I also came across uh, a reading somewhere. I can't remember exact source. And it says uh, a lot of the people who attempt suicide, but obviously they survived. They say that in the act of doing it, most of them are already regretting it in the act of doing it, which I found very, 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 very interesting. And so my takeaway when I read that was just like, as bad as what you're feeling it's never worth it to go all that way Mm -hmm. and i know that's hard to say when you're not in the thick of things trust me i know Mm. i'm not trying to be ignorant or insensitive of anyone but like if you could just hold on for another day another hour just give yourself that time your brain to kind of process there's there's a way out of your situation Always, always 100 percent. Um, Man, this next part, this, this next question was near and dear to my heart, man. I'm going to say this number. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Three dollars <laughs> <$3 laughs> okay. and fifty two cents. Three dollars and fifty two cents. That's the amount of money you had left in your bank account at one point not enough to even catch a cab home on a cold Toronto night. Yep. Now with that in mind, what advice would you give to someone who's in a very similar predicament
1: right now? You know, you know, down and out. Um that night where that happened, and I had to walk home for an hour and a half cuz I didn't have enough money for a cab. Um, I never for one second thought that that was going to be the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I never, I never thought that that was going to be who Trent is. And I never thought that that's the way that my bank account's going to stay. It was mm-hmm. just a wake up call to be like, all right, okay, we need to make some changes. Right. You know what I'm saying. Right. So I mean, a couple of things like, like you alluded to not to get back into the, um, the suicide, but like you said, just like, just, there's always a better day, you know what I'm right. saying? And, um, yeah, I didn't think of that 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 night when I was 12 years old. But as an adult, I always know that um, my present is not is not always going to be my future. Correct. Um, so I I just look at those moments. The advice is, you know, look at those moments as, as a wake up call and 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 make changes. Right. There's a reason I think you alluded to this earlier. Right. Where it's like the choices. I think that guy that was that was t- um, talking to those guys in jail, like, yo, there's seven yeah. decisions that you made to get here, right? So yeah. it's like, yo, what decisions did I make for my bank account to have $3? And how can I change those decisions? Right. It's never too late.
0: Never too late, man. Never too late. I live by that. And it, it reminds me of something. Um, I heard a, a pretty successful businessman say years ago when I was in college, and he said, um, situations are temporary, actions are permanent. And something like I always like to kind of repeat to myself, because sometimes we get into a situation and it feels like it's legit the end of the world. You know, what are people going to say to me? How am I going to get out of that? It feels like you're just like, there's no way out. But all situations are temporary. And I think one of the advantages to your book, when people get the opportunity to read it, Trent, is that um, not only do they see another brother or just another human being go through those kind of highs and lows, but you've made it out for the Mm. betterment. And I I came across a saying that said, sometimes you don't need to hear or see anything new. You just need to know that somebody else went through it. And that's why I'm also a big fan of autobiographies, man, because those are my Mm. favorite types of books right now. Cause it's just like, Oh, it's like, man, Stephen A went through this. Oh, you know, Trevor Noah went through this, you know? And it's like, Anytime I feel like throwing a pity party and I have like my five minutes, maybe an hour or two, whatever, when things are not going the way that I I want them to go. I think about, man, Nelson Mandela did 27 years. Exactly.
1: (laughs) What am I complaining about? I have a Nelson Mandela poster up in my office right now.
0: Yo, this guy did 27 years in prison, breaking down rocks. Mm -hmm. Corey Kareem, I think you'll be all right. You know what I mean? Which yeah. brings me to my second fav- uh, favorite word, perspective, man. Like yep. being able to frame, for me at least, is life-changing. It's, it's gotten me from doing some pretty stupid stuff, man. Just like, hold on. Let's check yourself for a
1: second here. It's not that serious. Facts. And and just to add to that um, yeah. perspective, if you can't, because some people just don't have the ability to, to put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Therapy is your best friend. Mm. Cognitive Behavior Therapy. Google that. It's about your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. Mm. Um, I just did a really amazing podcast. Um, Yeah, I'm tuning my own horn because I, I thought it was a really mm. great podcast um, with Dr. Alfie. And she gave a great explanation of what CBT is. And it's literally like, Think about leaving your house and you made a mistake and you put an Air Force One on one foot and you put a Jordan three on the other foot. You might some some people might go outside and be like, holy shit, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? And you have a bad day. Another person might go outside and be like, yo, I look so fly. I have two different pairs of shoes on. Look how fly I am. You can't pull this shit off. That's perspective. And that's what cognitive behavior therapy does. It helps you frame your life and achieve your goals, and look at your perspective of your life. So, um, Google CBT and uh, try to get some, some CBT therapy in your life. Yeah,
0: you know what? To, to echo that sentiment, I started therapy February of twenty twenty one. Nice and life changing. Yes. Um, because to your point, like a, a a great therapist will allow you will give you the tools where you can then create those different perspectives for yourself. And I think my therapist, he gave me this kind of framework was like, well, picture yourself driving in a car. And let's say it's like it's a highway. And if you look through the right side, you're seeing nothing but trees and nature. And If you look through the left side, you're seeing nothing but like buildings and housing. And that's kind of like how you can kind of view your life. And you just have to know how to navigate your head to give you that perspective to you know um to allow you to to go throughout your day but yeah man um therapy y'all please um and a lot of things with therapy is people feel like oh i only need a therapist when i'm going through the shit Mm. false
1: very false (laughs) False. Yeah. No. People are like, I'm not going to anything. I don't need a therapist. This is the perfect time, bro. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Preemptive
0: strike. Please, hey, please, 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 please. Um, okay. Now, in the book, uh, there's a very, very, very interesting situation you describe. I, I mean, there's a lot of very interest, interesting situations, but this one, it involves a big decision, and that was choosing your girl. A woman you had been dating for several years, or moving to Toronto to pursue a career in music management, which was your dream at the time. Describe to me what that situation was like and and how and where did you find the confidence to, you know, make that decision. Cause I feel like maybe for some people, it's not a, a choice between their girl and an opportunity or a guy and their opportunity, but they have a big decision to make where there's no, there's no easy way to do it. So Mm. describe to me about that decision and the confidence, how you found the confidence to, to make it.
1: We're bringing with this. This is a great question because we're bringing everything back full circle. I think about my grandmother's sacrifice that she made Mm. the big decisions that she had to make leaving she probably had a boyfriend or friends right. and right. she had to leave all that in Jama- um leaving Jamaica to come to this country. So um, my girlfriend and I were having issues at the time. It's not like I left a beautiful, amazing relationship that was fruitful. Right. Um, you know, we were going through our things and we were you know, going through our issues and, you know, I wanted her to come to Toronto with me, even though we were going through those issues. Right. Right. She was a singer at the time. You know, I started out managing her and, um, You know, when in Rome, like in Roman times, I'd want to be in Rome, you know, so I'm like in Montreal, you want to be in the music industry, you got to go to Toronto and let's do this. And I I wasn't going to let anybody stop me, even now, as, you know, successful as I am, I'm always grinding, I'm always really willing to make the sacrifice. So those big decisions um, are easy for me, you know, it's it's making the decision to make the sacrifice and I'm always 1000% willing to make the sacrifice.
0: Right. Right. So back to that word there again. There's a there's a common word that's popping up through there here. Sacrifice. So I get that for you. But let's say you're a listener or someone that sees this clip on YouTube, Instagram, wherever and they just don't have the type of self-confidence that you have. Yeah. Right? What advice would you give to that person where they could start to kind
1: of build that confidence so that they can make those difficult decisions that is like literally the hardest question to ever answer because you can't put that in somebody you know mm, what i'm saying like there. i didn't i didn't um i didn't go to school for this right it's who i am right. right sometimes to a fault um right. and i talk about that in my second book um i think my overambitionness has has created some issues in my life. I'm still right. single. I don't have kids, right. you know what right. I'm saying? Right. Cause I'm right. always making the decision. Um, you know, I'm very selfish. Mm. Right. Um, and, and I, I'm aware of that and, and I try to deal with that in therapy. Right. Cause I'm, right. I'm always thinking about Trent and, and that's not great. You know, in a relationship, you got to think about two people. Right. Um, but <sighs> I think, honestly, we do have a lot of parallels. I read over 60, 70 um, autobiographies. And if you study mm-hmm. the life and journey of successful people, it's, it's, it's making that sacrificing, having the confidence and believing in yourself. And I think that, like you said, when you read Stephen A. Smith, when you read Nelson Mandela, when you read these great entrepreneurs, one of my favorite reads is uh, Richard Branson, the guy who started uh, Virgin Records and Virgin, now Virgin Airlines and Virgin Radio. Um, Ted Turner started CNN, Steve Jobs. Um, You you take a little bit from everyone's life and you make your own life. Um, And, you know, Take my book, for example. You just said at one time I had $3 in my bank account. Today I'm sitting in a home that has six bathrooms.
0: Mm. (laughs) I love it. 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 If that's not motivation or inspiration, I don't know what is. Like uh, Materialism aside, just the way that you manage the highs and the lows, and that's really what life's about It's dynamic. It's not like hockey stick growth all the way. And that's something that you consistently see throughout your book. It's not like it was one straight ride to the top. There were many dips, peaks, and valleys. And I think at the end of the day, it's how you how you maneuver that. And you do that, obviously, quite well. Um, so my last question for you, um, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't bring this up, but you met Drake you know Toronto's very own before <laughs> drizzy. he drizzy before he he blew up as an artist <clears throat> so to give some context so tell us about that moment and and what did you learn from that moment
1: <laughs> uh um never um never think that um never 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 think that an, uh, that you're too big for any opportunity.
0: Mm. Um,
1: when I met Drake, I was the man in Toronto, not Drake level, but I'm just saying like I had a popping artist. I had video, they had videos on yeah. much music. I was dating the hottest girl in the city um, on flow 93.5. Like I was rocking. Right. And you know, Drake was Drake cause he was in um, Degrassi, Degrassi.
0: Yeah.
1: But you know, I mean he was still wheelchair Jimmy at that time, right? <laughs> um, and he saw me outside of a club and he's like, Yo, I was at a radio station the other day. Yo, I saw, you know, your artists and I saw your package, like you guys are doing it big out here. And it's not like I dissed them, but I was just like, All right, respect, you know, and I just but at the same time, there's also 10 artists that would come up to me at that time. And I was working right. with two artists and I was just started my management company. And it's like, you know, you could just know that you could always potentially meet the next drake along your way right and i wish i would have taken his phone number i wish i would have <laughs> taken you know what i'm saying i wish i would have taken his um you know his contacts or i wish i would have right. you know done the thing like he came to our um our video set and you know he we used the same video director yeah and he came to our set people were taking pictures with him but it's like yo take pictures you know what i'm saying so it's just you know a little bit of ego you know yeah. um and yeah shit I could imagine Drizzy maybe, who knows?
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting about that? My takeaway from that particular story in the book is that, so I have a good friend of mine um, that's in the production side of the TV business. And so this person will always go from maybe producer to line producer to various, like each project, they'll have a different title. And we were talking uh, one day and this person said that, you know, my kind of thing in the industry that I do is I'm always kind because on one project, I could be an executive producer. On the next project, I could be a line producer. It's it's very dynamic. So you exactly. just never know. You know what I mean? And I feel like sometimes when people get on a, a ride, a nice momentum of success, it's easy to forget that. Right. Because exactly. you're like you're in the moment. Right. You're exactly. so much in it. But you don't know that person that you kind of like, you know, brushed off, whether it was intentional or not. Three years later, you could be needing their help, right? Or so things could always flip that way. So be kind, y'all. Be kind on your way to the top. Be kind.
1: Just wanted to make to make sure like I didn't diss him. I didn't whatever. (laughs) I just didn't take his contact information. And I thought he was dope. I always told people, like replacement girl. Um, I always thought that was a dope song. And I always liked that he. Um was Canadian, but yeah. still had it, still had that kind of like that American kind of like a yeah. yeah. little bit of like that American twang, that American yeah. kind of like edge yeah. to him. And I also thought he was dope. I just I just didn't have the bandwidth at the time, you right. know, and, and I wish I would have had had the bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs> but I never dissed him. Shout out to Drewzy. Yeah,
0: of course, of course. <laughs> Champagne Poppy. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's get into some rapid fire questions. Trent, this is where I ask you. Couple questions. I love rapid fire questions. And you just gotta first first thing that comes to your mind. All right. Um,
1: Alicia Keys. I'm not doing too good. All right, <laughs> my first one is like, <laughs> Alicia Keys. So many things just went through. That's so loaded. Like I have a history with Alicia Keys, man. I know um, that's why I chose it. Uh, I love her. Love. Okay. <laughs>
0: Victor. Regret,
1: mm. South Africa, the motherland, home, take me back. My last
0: one, rejection. Bring it on. Mm. And I and I love that about your personality because, you know, um, outside of doing this podcast, I'm an ad sales and ad sales executive at Spotify, and um. Whenever you have a role that involves, you know, presenting and pitching, rejections are part of the process. Mm-hmm. And I came across a reading years ago. This guy Darren Hardy, who's a publisher of like Success Magazine or something, or maybe I don't know if he's still the publisher. He was telling the story when he was getting into real estate. When he was starting off, when he didn't have a book of business or book of clients, he would make a, a like an Excel sheet with like thirty boxes or whatever it is. And his goal was to get thirty no's every day. He would actually go That's for a crazy. no, right? Because you knew that if I get the no's, I'm going to get yeses just by law of averages, right? So if he didn't get thirty no's, he keep knocking on doors every day, and it desensitized them to the no, where it's just like That's a, crazy. You know what I mean? So I That's try to crazy. like, I try to incorporate that mentality, and you have that because you, you talk about it in the book like rejection is mm. like, you, like, like you just said, mm. bring it on,
1: yeah. I love it. Cause it's, and you learn from it too. Right. Mm. I, I like to learn like, yeah, I love that. of taking the 50 no's, but it's like, why did I get those 50 no's? It's just like looking at the bank account. It's like, what, what, you cannot be perfect. No one's going to be perfect. You're never going right. to start anything and, and it work. Right. So I like to take the rejection and dissect it and then come back. And like, I want to be able to present where you can't tell me, no, where you can't shut me down. Mm. Understand? I love it. I love it. I
0: exactly. love it. So Trent, um, this concludes our conversation, but for all the people that want to stay connected with you, find out more about you, how can they reach you? What are you working on next? All that good stuff.
1: Um, well, like I said, I'm winding down um, Extra City right now. Um, and I'm really heavily focused on my podcast. Um, I really love podcasting. I love talking with people. And I've talked from Brandon Gómez, from you know, a journalist to Dr. Althy with uh, therapy. And it's really my love for autobiographies. And it's Taking little nuances from everyone's journey um, and having my my listeners learn from that. So um, you can find me on all podcast platforms and on YouTube, um, Trend Out Loud, uh, my website trendoutloud.com and on all social handles are Trend Out Loud, man, Snapchat, TikTok, I love Twitter.
0: it, <laughs> I love it, I love it. Well, guys, uh, that concludes today's episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem and. As many of you know, I like to end each episode by saying, you know, if you want to just impress people, talk about your wins, your successes, your material items, yada, yada, yada. But if you really want to have an impact on someone else's life, talk about your failures, your transgressions, those down periods. That's how you really move the needle in someone else's life. So with that being said, Trent and I are out. Peace and love until the next time. (music) is <music>